Welcome everybody to We Are I. We're sitting here with Rona. She's a 59-year-old grandmother. This woman has an absolutely incredible story for so many reasons. I don't even know if I could narrow down each one individually. I think the one thing that just really draws me to Rona the most when she's talking, I know a few of her children and what really drew me to Rona and her family is they have an extraordinary amount of athletes in their family, not just athletes who do okay. Like these children and grandchildren are just, they crush records, they bat it out of the park. They're that family athletically that is astonishing. And it's not just one child or two children or a singular grandchild. It's all of them. There's something about this family's genes that just produces people who are extremely high functioning in like athletics and goal driven and just overall crushing it in sports and in life in general. So welcome Rona. Thank you. Thank you. So maybe before we get into a little bit about your your kids and your grandchildren, if you could let us know a little bit about you growing up about, you know, did you play sports? Were you uh, high functioning in academics in school or a combination of both? Or what was Rona like when she was young? Well, not high functioning in academics. My favorite class was always my gym class. Um, my mom, of course, t labeled me with the cliche that I never walked, I always ran. So we moved here from Scotland when I was 10 and I went to an elementary school that had a a uh, very well-known track coach and so he got wind of my PE class and always you know trying to do outdo everybody in gym class and so he uh, um, got me going with track at the school and which eventually ended up with the Kjax track club so I ran for the trade Kjax track club in Richmond for probably five years I guess and that was my kind of start of organized sports. How old were you when you started that? Ten. Ten? When I was ten, just after we moved here from Scotland, there was a track meet in Sacramento. And I know today's parents, it would be just never happened, but I went to Sacramento without any parents for a cross-country really? track meet. And like, how did you get to Sacramento when you were ten? We all went. There was... Um, the age groups, I was a tyke, there was Pee Wee Bantam, juvenile, junior at that mm -hmm. time, and I was the tyke that qualified to go, so I went with everybody else from the track meet, I think there was nine of us. And, and you're so, still alive today, how yeah. crazy. <laughs> yeah, no helicopter parent there. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it's yeah, amazing so. you survived till ten and a half. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was kind of my start into How'd you organized. Do? I was second. You were second? In North America, yeah. In North America? I still have that medal. <laughs> you say it like it's just no big <laughs> yeah. deal. Yeah, no, it was a big deal. I, yeah, there's like I almost... didn't realize it at the time. Now, is that North America, Canada, the United States, and Mexico or it Canada, was United States? Canada, United States. Yeah, so you're talking almost 400 million people. Yeah. And you placed second? Second. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. I would have the <laughs> biggest smile just like you. Yeah. I just, I feel like. Those are the little things. See, I didn't know that till right now. These are the things I'm talking about with this family. Like somebody walks in the door and says something like that at 10, placing second in North America in, what was the event that you were in? It was a cross country. Cross country? Yeah. I 
think it was three miles. Mm. In those days, everything was miles and yards. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. So what, what, after that, like, well, when you got back to BC after become or second in North America, what, what happened when you got back to BC to Richmond? I, I continued to, to run and train, and I was a middle distance runner, 400, 800, and 1500. So, um, so did you compete provincially? Yep. And then yeah. nationally, like what were the no, competitions? I, like? I never did go national. I gave up track to play team sports when I was 13, 14. And, you know, you kind of. How come? Cold. It seems like you were just such a natural athlete. Like, well, I, I, and I think this happens. It happened with my daughter as well. Um, I think when you're in a team sport, it's, it's a lot more fun. Training mm -hmm. is a lot more fun. Individual sports especially long and middle distance running, you're out there training by yourself, running lap after lap. And it's just, it doesn't have, especially at 13 when peer pressure and, you know, you want to be with your friends and they're playing basketball and you're out running around and by And yourself. those are, it seems like battles that we are willing to fight as we get a little bit older, mm -hmm. you know, where you like, you want to go out in the rain or at the track or do individual things like yeah. those things kind of develop when you're a little bit older but being that young I could see how you'd want to get yeah. into a team sport yeah. I'm still like that I prefer to come to the gym with a group of people than go to a gym and work out by myself absolutely and that's the face of fitness yeah. now too right is yeah. you know getting together banging together as a group yeah. and, and working out so what t what team sports did you get into um I started off uh, playing basketball and volleyball at high school and I played volleyball after high school. I continued on with volleyball. Um, Why volleyball? Yeah. What, what was the connection there? Well, I think, again, when somebody comes into your life that's passionate about a sport, like when I was in grade two or three, um, I had a track coach that was passionate. Oh. Saw a little bit of talent and a little bit of determination and took it forward. Same thing, when I got into grade 11, I had a volleyball coach that was passionate. She coached the junior uh, national team. Mm -hmm. So she took me under her wing and coached me. And so I played with the junior national team for a little while. And then I went out to play club volleyball and pretty much until I got married. How many, so how many years did you play volleyball? And I see how you uh, skirted past junior national so. team, like really, you know, yeah, you just kind of threw it in there. But yeah. Do you have a hard time talking about how high performing an athlete that you were? It seems like you skirt past these details quite fast. Um, yeah, I probably do. You know, I'm very proud of what my kids and I can talk about what my kids have accomplished. Mm -hmm. But for myself, it's it was what I did. And I grew up that way, you know, just enjoying it. It wasn't like it was I was was never forced, never, ever forced. Do, do you anything. feel like that's where some of your success may have come from, is that it wasn't forced, it was something that you just Definitely. freely did, you accepted it on your own, it was something you wanted to do? Definitely. Uh, so with the junior national team, how, how many years did you play with the junior national team? I only team? played one year. How did you guys do? Um, we, we did, I think we were third in the country. Yeah. Uh, we played a lot in the States for training because we were so close to this you know, going across the line, play down the States. We played a lot of competition down in the States. How, so then what did volleyball look for you after high school? Cause you, it seems like you started playing towards the end of high school. I played all the way through. I played grade eight as soon as they had sports, I played them. So I played all the way through grade eight until, and then in grade 11, like I said, I had this coach that was so involved in volleyball and, 
And so then after I graduated, we went on to play. I think I was still in grade 12 when I played on the national team or the junior national team for a little while. And then I continued after for about another half a year. Did you take it to a college level or a university no, level? I did not. <laughs> was that by your choice or did yes, you just... that was my choice. Uh, How come? I also spent uh, time in Japan playing basketball. Oh. When I was in grade 11. I see. So, so all of these <laughs> things are just starting to come out of the woodwork. Yeah. So um, before I guess we get into after high school, let's reel it back and talk about playing basketball in Japan. Um, I grew up in Richmond, like I said, and Richmond always had a sister city in um, Japan, and I was, it was Wakayama, so we went on a tour, and we stayed in Wakayama for a while, went to Tokyo, went to Osaka, a couple other cities, I actually can't remember the name. How long were you guys there for? Um, I think it was two and a half months. Oh, so quite, yeah. oh, that's yeah. nice. And a couple of the girls that I played with, um, they were graduating, we went in like March and they were, they were coming up to graduation. They went back and taught English and, and continued to play there. So, so this was still... only the basketball team that went or yes. was this? Yeah, oh, okay. Just the basketball team. What was, what was it like playing in Japan? It was very interesting because they're typically very small and I'm mm -hmm. not tall. So yeah. it was more, more on my height level, but they were extremely, extremely hard workers. Yep. I could imagine. Very fit. I don't know. I remember when I was younger watching the Japanese Olympic volleyball team play, and mm -hmm. they were amazingly hard workers. They weren't tall people, but they they yeah. knew how to win by hard work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, what was it like playing there and then coming back and playing in in Canada? Did it seem the same, or did did you connect more with playing over there with the with the athleticism of the Japanese culture? Or probably, yeah, probably the just. Because when we were there, we kind of lived and breathed basketball. When I came back, I had to finish school. Real life kind of kicked in. <laughs> yeah. Had chores at home, finished school, all those kind of things. So it Sounds like your parents like... might have let you stay in Japan if you wanted to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's so then when we get back to um, volleyball. So when you, when you came back and did you decide to give up basketball then and just focus on volleyball? Yes. I felt that I had to make a choice of one or the other mm -hmm. and just having the coach that I had, I knew that I would get farther and enjoy and mm -hmm. progress with her because I didn't have anybody that was as, knew as much about basketball as she knew about volleyball. And, and I loved them both. So it wasn't, it was a hard choice to make to give up one, but I knew I was doing something I was going to love no matter which way I went. Hard so, and easy at the yeah, same time. Yeah. So then what ultimately, <laughs> How come you made the choice not to go pursue at a college or university level? I had a really good job, and I really liked my job, and I had flexibility in my job. I did get offered a... It wasn't a scholarship like they have then, like they have now, um, to go play basketball at UVic. Oh, okay. But I didn't... Hindsight, I probably wouldn't have turned it down, but at that point in time, I did turn it down. I didn't know anybody else that was going there I just I just felt it might have been overwhelming for me to go and play and go and to it's school so close and, like I Richmond know, and Victoria is like a stone's throw away <laughs> I know yeah I always that's one thing in my life I have regretted was not following oh that. you can't regret it you just I might know. have made a different I, yeah, decision but no regrets I, yeah right? but things have turned out 
as they have. So Absolutely. It's not a... What was the job, if you don't mind me asking? It seems like it would be something pretty intriguing. Uh, yeah, I worked in a, um, a paper company in Vancouver, and it was my first, you know, outside of fast food or um, restaurants. So I worked in a paper company, and I, and I, you know, started there at the bottom, and I moved up a little bit, a little bit, and that was the first summer after I graduated. So I really enjoyed it. I got to dress up and go to, because growing up, I wore sweatpants and runners and so it was life kinda, of an athlete <laughs> it was kind of you know flip side for me to, to absolutely move on and so I was really enjoying it so then <clears throat> you said you maintained a little bit of a connection with still playing volleyball until you got married yes what was that connection to volleyball uh, once you decided not to play for school or pursue it academically with going to UVic what what was your volleyball I played for it was a club called Chimo at the time mm. So and we traveled. We um, I played in the in 1977. We played in the Olympic in Montreal, the 76 Olympic Stadium. We played there and played across Canada a lot. We played a lot in Washington, but that was one of the highlights was playing in the stadium. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Seems like you have quite a bit. Like, do you have a a sports memory book that you look back at? It seems like you should have like a scrapbook. I, yeah, I've got. I've saved all the you know the little pictures. They're not you know that I have from those days, which. Retirement but, uh, project. I, I was talking with my daughter a little while ago, and we were talking about how all these places that sports has taken us, but you're inside the gym. You don't mm -hmm. see a lot of, like, Absolutely. country when you're there. You know, you like, I did see a fair bit of Japan, but when, um, you know, you go for a tournament, you go, you're in the gym, you're in your hotel, Yep. You go to a restaurant and you go back to your hotel. So I've heard that story quite a bit of times from athletes, you know, whether they're still 15, 16, 18, 20, or, you know, like yourself, you know, 59, that even when they go and travel to these other countries, their coaches won't even let them go out. Yes. So it's, yeah, it's tough. It's like that tease where you have all this amazing opportunity, but you never get to be able to see it. You see the inside of the gymnasium in the hotel. So how long did you travel around playing volleyball for? Um, uh, probably three years. I believe it was about three years. Okay. Then, so then what was volleyball after that? Did it just become a little bit more local, or is that the point when you got married? That's probably the point when I got married, I believe. Yeah. So then just like once the family <laughs> starts to settle in, then yeah. got to be a little bit of give and take, and volleyball got pushed out the door? Pushed, yep. And Ryan was born, and shortly after him, Tyler, and then Danica, yeah. and so that kind of became my focus after that for a yeah. while. So then, when the when your children started being born, and what, what what was your concept? Because you were so athletic, but you were never pushed in athletics. How did you raise your raise your children? Did you encourage them to get into sports, or did you take the more passive role? Or um, I. We encouraged them, uh, definitely encouraged them, and as long as they enjoyed it. And I think that's the the goal of all your, you know, your parenting is you want your kids to do something you enjoy watching, but you want them to enjoy it as well. And so my kids luckily enjoyed it because, you know, I would much prefer to watch a hockey game than a piano recital. So <laughs> that's the way I was. And, Just a little bit more interesting. <laughs> for me, yeah. And so, yeah. That was, that was. So three children? Yes. So 
when you look at those uh, three children, how did you divide your times? I know that's something that we all deal with as parents. It's hard to be able to manage getting to everybody's activities and being able to support all of our, our children. Was that was that quite the battle for you as well, or did you guys find a really good way to be able to manage that? We, we did when they were younger. Um, um, the boys were involved in track and field, and Danica, my daughter, was involved in swimming. So my husband would go to track, and I would go to swimming. Mm -hmm. And so we barely saw each other, the family together on the weekends. And, but it worked. And we all know <laughs> if between school and sports that you barely see yeah. each other during the week the weekend, either because it's all like yeah. all go go and there's yeah. games on the weekend and everything yeah. becomes pretty tough to be And that to was manage. before they were in. Danica started swimming when she was five and the only reason she started swimming is because you had to be seven to go in the track club and she wasn't mm -hmm. old enough. So this is when they were pre-high school or elementary school, like later elementary school where they start the team sports. Once they got into the team, like me, once I got into the team sports, that kind of took over. Did any of them experience any injuries from the sports that they played? Yes, um, not the boys, but Danica's had a lot of injuries. Two knee, sur three knee surgeries. Three? Yeah. What ages did she have her knee surgeries? Her first knee surgery was, she actually tore her ACL when she was in grade six or seven playing oh. indoor soccer on mm -hmm. the AstroTurf but they wouldn't do her surgery because she still had a lot of growing to do. They were worried about yep. growth plates. So, um, Soft brace? Grade nine. Yeah. Yeah, hard brace. A big, hard brace. Big For brace. two years. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That must have been tough. It was. She played. She played through it. She had a, quite a few little trips to the hospital, but she Absolutely. played through it. She, yeah. Other than that, the boys seemed to be a little more resilient mm -hmm. and was it no tough injuries. for her? Was there a lot of emotional moments with her and, you know, being your mom and trying to stick through? Is there any times that she just wanted to pack it in and, and give it up? There was, a, and I, we laugh about it today because probably our only argument or disagreement, and she's 32 now, was when she wanted to give up swimming. And my philosophy has always been with the kids, you start something, you finish it. Absolutely. You don't quit mid. So... She had this knee problem, and she was in grade eight, and she couldn't. And she was a she was a very good swimmer, and she could not advance. Her times weren't getting better. She was getting frustrated, and she just wanted to quit. And it was probably February, and the season went till March. And I said, "You are no quitter, and you can finish this out." And so she was didn't talk to me for days and whatever, but <laughs> we got over it. She, did, yep. she didn't go back to swimming. And, you could see the big picture, even though she <laughs> yeah. might've got stuck in the small picture. Yeah, and she, she, she remembers that, you mm -hmm. know. She looks back at that as, yeah. But good though, you know, like now, you know, you looking back at it, her looking back at it, like those are kind of like the, the pivotal roles that we as parents need to go through with our kids and that our kids need to go through to realize that there's far more benefit in sticking it out than just giving it up. Yes. She was tears and fighting to get in the car every morning because swimming's early, early morning practice. Absolutely. And yeah. So it was it was a tough, a rough month, but. But you guys got I through it. I think it taught her a lesson, and we got through it. And mm -hmm. I'm sure she'd be the same with her kids now. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so when was the third knee surgery? Or did we get to the second one? Uh, the second one. So the first one was when she was nine. 
she would no she was in grade nine when she had the first surgery grade nine she tore she it when she was in grade at the end of yep. grade six or seven and so they wouldn't do it so she had it done in grade nine she had the big hard brace on and she went back to play volleyball and somebody from the other team fell under the net she stepped on their foot and broke her ankle so she had a knee brace and a cast at the same time oh that must have been fun <laughs> yeah her second uh, knee surgery was she tore her knee surgery she went to the University of Idaho on a basketball scholarship and she tore her knee oh. again on the fir first practice of the season really so she had to redshirt her first year what was the what was the emotional battle yeah. oh. like there? That must have been extremely tough. So, you know, scholarship, oh. first practice. You're there to be able to prove yourself, your name, everything, yeah. and it was it was a very emotional time. Um, the team was great. They included her. She went on all the road trips. They included her in practice. She shot. You know, she just couldn't play in games and do drills and and that. So. Yeah, it's just growing pain, <laughs> a big growing pain, but yeah. And then the third one was after she finished her second year, I believe. She had some scar tissue that was in the way, and so okay. she had... So is this all three, were they the same knee? Really? When same knee, yes, then the same ankle. She just wants to cut that leg right <laughs> off right. and start with um, a whole new one. And today, especially, as she's gotten older, it's, it's Starting still, to bug her a little yeah. bit? Yeah. So where, with your three kids, where did they go? So obviously, you know, Danica, she went to a university level in scholarships. Um, two boys, did yeah. they? Yeah, uh, they went to Douglas College, played basketball okay. there. Yeah. Awesome. Yes. Yeah, so that was, you know, until they were in their mid-20s. And what about grandchildren? You got a couple grandchildren under the belt. Did the athletics trickle down the well? Because it seems like the good genes got passed on. Kids got it. Did the grandchildren get it? Yes, so far. Um, only two of them are old enough to really compete. Most of The other six are under four. So um, the oldest one, uh, Talia, she is a national ranked runner. She runs the 400 and the 800. She and she's broke a few records she has, too. She has uh, holds the Arizona state record in the 400 and the 800. Amazing. And, and how she, old is she? She's 12. 12. And she's held it every year since she was 10. Really? And, so yeah. nobody's even coming close to her then? There is one girl that comes close to her in the 400, but nobody in the 800. And at nationals this year, she was second in, by two one hundredths of a second really? in her 800. She, and she was fifth in the 400. So she's got your genes States. for running. Yeah, she does. And the little one, Anaya, she is six. And she qualified for nationals in her 200 and her 400. And she couldn't compete at nationals because they don't take them until they're seven. Wow. So she was the youngest in Arizona. But she's just itching for oh, it, though. she is. She's so competitive. And she was the youngest runner in Arizona to qualify for nationals. Wow. So. Yeah, they got some good genes, and then there's Absolutely. twins after them, the, but they're not competing yet. But. Well, that they sure will <laughs> they be, though. Will by, be, yeah. Well, and then even just product in the environment, you know, going through all these stages, and with them be, all being so similar in age, you know, and, you know, having good peers to be able to look up to with inside the family, like, that's yeah. got to be motivating for them. Yeah. My son-in-law's family is very athletic, too. So it's just His like His father in, was, um, competed at the Olympic trials for the 400 meters, so. Really? Yeah. 
So all the runners have just kind of like yeah. come together to be able to produce some super runners. And an uncle that competed in the NFL. And so really? There is some genes on his side that are... Wow. <laughs> That's so like... And you know, like just all the things. Like, so obviously speed. There's something about you guys yeah. and speed you know if they're nfl all these different track and cross country and yeah. that's just amazing how about the young ones is the the grandchildren has there been any any injuries i know with the youngest being six but you're no injuries yeah good yeah. fingers crossed <laughs> they don't yeah. get their mums um, whatever well and those things are are you know like they're one-offs too right you know like there's a lot of athletes that go quite quite a lengthy career with yeah. not having too many too injuries, many injuries. And yeah. Like Three I said, both knee. the boys never had injuries. Yeah. All through, so. And it's not like they're taking it easy either. They're both no. pretty competitive yeah. as well, yeah. right? So. Yeah. And uh, the other thing they have going for them is height, right? Mm -hmm. Athletically, they're they're tall. They're where do they get? Yeah. Where does everybody get their height from? Cause <laughs> I know everybody looks at me and said, "Oh, their dad must have been tall." But no, my dad was tall. Oh, and, so just yeah. skipped a generation yeah. with and you. My son-in-law's he's six three, mm. so the girls are. Talia's probably five six now, and she's only twelve. So she's so she's almost she's, as tall as me, and she's, she's twelve. Yeah, she's taller than nice. me. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, now we talked about kids and grandkids, but we kind of glossed over where you went with your with your sports to be able to talk about that. So you know, once you started having kids, like what did that look like for you? Did was it really hard dropping like your sports? Because I know for myself, and just talking to a lot of athletes, it that becomes quite a, a battle mentally and emotionally when you can't connect with your sport anymore. It does. It, you know, your time is not your own as it, as it used to be. So I um, joined a racquetball league, mm -hmm. my, learned how to play racquetball, and it was local. We lived in Langley and Newlands, had a racquetball court and a mm -hmm. women's league. So I joined the women's league and started on the bottom and learned how to play racquetball. So I did that for a number of years, and I started running again and doing the 10k circuits so oh so you know, oh i so you went around and you just all like actual sanctioned 10k races not just running 10k on your own yeah, yeah how'd you I do the, oh I, I did it for fun i didn't do it competitively i i did it competitively in my to myself i was gonna say i think there's a little bit <laughs> the inside age you group thing you know yeah. um you know at that age i was in my 20s there's very serious runners that do those absolutely so i wasn't training to do it like that but i enjoyed the races and so it's just it was squash and running did you or racquetball and right. running yeah that's was there and then where did it go from there so as the kids got older did you and they became more self-sufficient was it easier or because they played sports did it still narrow you down a little bit it narrow because i like to watch yeah so and you have three of them and they're all playing rep sports they were practicing and playing all the time so it was harder to get practices I used to you know if they were out practice I would go and run around the tracks or trying to and we all want rep level <laughs> athletes in the valley yeah. too but just the commitment level is so it much is, higher too is. so yeah so you do what you can and how old were they when you got to a different point in your fitness where you were able to explore other options besides racquetball um, they were, I would say, 15, 17, 18. Oh, so there was yeah. quite a few years of racquetball and running yeah. then. That I had to find the time to, to do what I could. Uh, racquetball was played. We used to play 8.30 at night 
yep. by then, you know, everything was, hockey was different, Tyler played hockey, so, you know, you've got your 11 p.m. practices or your, you know, 5 a.m. practices as well, so. Do you really feel like prioritizing, getting in there, you know, playing the rec ball, running, it really helped you, you know, manage as a mom and, you know, be able to deal with every day? Definitely. What do you Just feel the like endorphins is the endorphins that you get after working out gives you so much more energy for anything else that you try to do during the day. I've always found that. Do you feel that it really helps just clear the plate? Just it gets rid of yesterday's problems or, you know, kind of clears the plate from today if like anything was going on. Not only just cuz you you recognize the value of prioritizing yourself, but just like you said like the endorphin rush and, you know, getting that stress and that extra energy out that you could just go into your next day feeling a lot better? For sure, definitely, for sure. Um, is that one of the reasons why you feel like you've never given it up or is it just that deep-seated in you, like I'm this athlete at heart, I just always have to be, so you're always drawn to some kind of activity? I think it's both, I think it's both. I, I totally feel my day goes so much better if I've had a really good workout in the morning and that's why I typically work out in the morning is I just it sets the stage for my day all day absolutely and I I still enjoy the competitive not competitive coming to the gym but just getting your exercise and feeling like you're you're doing something for yourself that can be competitive too just <laughs> being able to make sure that you get down to the gym sometimes too. Yeah, I think we all go definitely. through those stages where it's like those little bit of wins just knowing that you got out of bed and got down or you made it a, a priority in your day so then what did it what did it morph into after after racquetball and running after that change? Like what did it go? Probably just gym. Just the gym? Just the gym. Yeah. I so that would have been about when you were thirty? Yes, I guess. Around thirty. Mm -hmm. Since then I haven't done anything competitively other than running. Um, as you know, I did my first triathlon <laughs> last yep. year. And, uh, and when you were, you know, late 20s, early 30s, that's when working out in a gym became astronomically big because that was kind of, would have been right around the, like, kind of the hype of the Arnold Schwarzenegger time frame, right? It would have been about Jane five. Fonda. Yeah, Jane yeah. Fonda would have been about, like, eight or ten years into that. and step classes. And yeah. Yeah, joined the gym here, and we joined the one over here because it had a basketball court and a track and it seemed to fit everybody in the family and I did the classes there for many many years. Well it seems like there's yeah. probably a good 20 year stretch where it was just gym classes. workouts. Yes. yes. Did you ever get bored of it during that time? Did you ever take any significant time off or did you always just keep plugging I away? I plugged away at it not as intensely as I do now or you know, when the kids had practices, if I couldn't get there, I, I didn't really worry about it, mm -hmm. but I always had a gym membership and always tried to get there. Keeping the routine is big though too, and that's one thing I always try to say to people is like, you know, even if you come and it's 10% of what you can normally give, or it's not really what you want to do when you get there, but just maintaining that priority in your schedule is huge. I think once, it, the hardest part is getting, getting Absolutely. to the gym. Once you get here, you give it what you can, right? Mm -hmm. So it's never not a good thing. It's yeah. always. And it's always so cliche when people say that you've never regret a workout, but you truly never do. No, you don't. You, so no. There's always a fundamental enjoyment that comes from it. And, you know, from experience, I know sitting at home after missing going to the gym, you sit there and regret 
not going. Absolutely. <laughs> Stew over it and just like, well, I could have done this or I would have had time or, you know, especially, you know, the, the tough part I have myself is when something that, you know, if you had a meeting or, you know, anything that pulled you away from going and then that gets canceled and you didn't go, that's what irks me the yes. most. Yes. Absolutely. Um, so like during all that, that time, you know, when you were going you got about 20 years, um, going to gym, did you have like any injuries or? I've had two knee surgeries myself, not the, uh, serious. I've had both my meniscus repaired in both my knees and my both, I did it both one working out, lifting weights and the other training for a half marathon. Oh. And so. Seems they, like you guys kind of prop up the medical system when it comes to <laughs> knee surgeries. Setbacks there. What were you doing in the gym when you hurt your knees? Do you remember? I don't actually, I don't remember. But I remember a pop, I can't remember. I had, it's okay. I had, um, yeah, I don't actually remember what I was doing. I was lifting some kind of weight and I just went down yeah. wrong and heard a little pop. Oh, it's so tough. Yeah, yeah. And running, I just... Has it, there been anything in your life that's like significantly impacted just your overall ambition to be able to stick through with working out or you know anything that's just been, that you've got any news that's just been really hard or anything to do with the kids or yourself personally where um there's there's been a few life hasn't been super easy along the way i you know um, divorced and had to raise the kids in their teenage years by myself that was tough and then uh three years ago this january i was diagnosed with cancer so that was uh, a, a huge shock because i've always everybody's always said I'm so healthy. I, n I never get a cold. I never mm -hmm. have the flu. If it's going around some way, it always skipped me. And so that was, that was a huge shock. So I was diagnosed with colon cancer mm -hmm. and it, uh, it has metastasized. So it is in my lungs as well. So I have stage four cancer. So was it already yet? Um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get through this point without choking up some tears rolling down my cheeks. So apologize. I apologize. Um, did you find out when it was already at stage four yes. or? I had no symptoms, nothing. And I can't imagine how hard that would be. I know a gentleman who took a step down his stairs one day and his femur exploded because the cancer was so bad in his leg and he had no symptoms either. And it was really hard on him, so I can't imagine how, yes. hard, how hard it was yeah. on you. Uh, how did it feel receiving that news where it wasn't at the oh. beginning stage of the cancer, it was so far down the road? It's shocking, just absolutely shocking. I had absolutely no symptoms, like I said. I ended up in the emergency ward because I had stomach pain and I was mm -hmm. doubling over and throwing up at home and someone liked me so my husband took me to the hospital and they did an x-ray and found a tumor in my colon that had almost ruptured my colon it was that big really and yeah and then they did the x-rays and what were you it. what were you doing when you first started experiencing this stomach pain was it just was it progressive or was it just all of a sudden one day just this horrendous it was just all pain? of a sudden one day it so started and it it got a little bit worse, but it came on strong and 
got a little bit worse, and then I started. When you felt it, did you get a feeling that you knew something was wrong, or did it feel really foreign, or was it just like abdominal pain that might be? It felt extremely foreign. It was. It was a very. I never felt anything like it. So if you I had knew to... it was something wrong. Like I, I could tell there was something wrong, and I needed to go. It wasn't something that I could wait and go to see the family doctor in the morning because it was progressively getting. It was. It was strong when it came on. It wasn't something that just kind of gradually got. It was strong, and then it got stronger and stronger. So. What happened after you found out? Um, I had surgery. And I was in the hospital for a week. Was it immediate, the surgery, or did yes. you have to wait? No, it was immediate that night. I had surgery that night. I went in the hospital about 5 o'clock in the morning, and I had surgery, I think, 6 o'clock that night. And I waited a couple of months and recovered, and then I started chemotherapy. And I've been having chemotherapy for, I had it straight for two and a half years every two weeks. I had chemotherapy, and I um, just recently changed to a oral drug. Mm -hmm. So I take every two weeks, ten days out of two weeks, I take an oral drug. So it's it's kind of an experimental drug that they've had good success with. It's certainly easier on me than having to have the chemo. Mm -hmm. One thing it allows me to work out while I take the drug. I don't get too many side effects from it. I I do feel lightheaded and a little queasy sometimes, and but when I was having the chemo in the hospital, I was hooked up to a bottle for 48 hours and other side effects that for four days I was kind of out of it for four days. So this one's easier on me and, and lets me enjoy life as, as I was beforehand. So I'm thankful for that and we go on from here. Yeah. What was it like? post-op when you're in the hospital bed was it just because everything happened so fast like yes. you know you're perfectly healthy in the morning you start experiencing this abdominal pain in the afternoon evening and then by the next morning you're getting surgery with did when I, did it all start to catch up with you probably when I got home when I got home from the hospital I was I, I think I was a week in the hospital and then you start feeling sorry for yourself and why why me and going through all those and you know I didn't want to talk to anybody I didn't want to have anything you know they just wanted to be left alone to get a grasp on it myself so I could feel comfortable talking about it or you know not breaking down talking to people you know and feeling that you know I felt like I wasn't I tried I tried to be as honest as I could without but that took a lot of strength just to be honest and talk about it because I'm the kind of person like let's okay let's just move on I yep. don't want to talk about it and that's how I was but people wanted to know and, and I felt they had the right to know my uh, family and good friends uh, my husband was phenomenal by letting people know and answering those kind of questions but so it was hard for me to face people for the first time. That's mm -hmm. what I found really hard. Because I didn't want pity. I didn't want, you know, I wanted people to see me the same and that kind of thing. But everybody always has their, which is totally understandable. They have their, you know, they want to hug you. They want to, you know, be there for you, which you appreciate. But And this book that I recently read, you know, the author, she was explaining that, because I'm very much like yourself, 
Like if I if I'm not having a tough time with it, I don't want to talk about it. Even if I'm having a tough time with it, I want to talk about it even less. Yes. You know, because I can just I can get through them. I know what I can persevere through, so I want to talk about it even less. Just let me deal with it, and we can all move on. But reading in this book, it really struck home with me that if you value the people in your life allowing them to be able to go through their healing process with you is dealing with that with them allowing them to hug you allowing them to be able to ask questions where it's a lot more of like a selfless approach and you allow them to do the things like some people really feel the only way they can help is if they drop off some food or to give you a hug or to place a phone call and that is allowing the people that we love to be able to heal too i agree with that i i couldn't see that at first but i totally 100 percent agree with that mm -hmm. and my brother-in-law was diagnosed with the same cancer same stage as i was i want to say a year before me and seeing his struggle and the way he dealt with his cancer totally different than the way i dealt with mine and there's no way right or wrong mm -hmm. it's just how everybody deals with it I, I and choose. where we're at in our lives too exactly. I think has a big role in that I choose not to let it interfere I know I have no idea you know what my lifespan is I've beaten the timeline I was given and I say to everybody that you know if they didn't tell me there was something wrong with me I wouldn't know mm -hmm. I don't have any side effects I don't have symptoms yeah, I have some things I have to deal with, but they're minor compared to what a lot of people go through. What so. was the timeline they gave you? Like, and did they give you that timeline after your surgery or like after some time? Or? Uh, after my surgery, they said typically two to two and a half years. And how long ago was your surgery? Uh, three. Three. Yeah. So you're well past that then. I am. <laughs> well past, and like I say, I, I don't have any symptoms. I don't have many side effects from the drugs I take. I, there are a few, but they're, they're very minor compared to what a lot of people go through. And I attribute it all, or my thinking is, it's because I've chosen to keep my body as healthy as I can, mm -hmm. and with that, working out, eating properly, and making it as strong as I can so it can fight this horrible disease as best I can. So when you got back home like obviously we know being in the hospitals they don't give you the best food no <laughs> it's probably a little bit hard to work out so when you got back home did you start really try to trying to prioritize your your health and nutrition like what you ate what you decided to put in your body right away or was that evolving over time it evolved over time i think when i got home from the hospital i was feeling sorry for myself i you know couldn't care less about a lot of things they weren't important to me and i just went through a, and it wasn't a long time, I'm, a couple weeks, maybe three, maybe up to a month where I, where I was really feeling like I was dealt a crappy hand. So, and then I decided I could either, you know, look at it that way or I could enjoy what I have and make Because that's a rabbit of, hole that anybody can live in for a oh, long time hard. and if you don't get out of get it out quick, of it. it can, it can sink the best of us, right? Yeah. And it's hard. It's, I'm not saying it was an easy battle to get back where I look outside every day and get out of bed every morning and thank God I get out of bed every morning and that's the way it is. Is there anybody or anything that 
you kind of you had like a moment where it was this person that said something or you did something or just something that was really okay I'm not gonna let this affect my life and I'm gonna take charge of everything from here on to pull yourself out of that rabbit hole um, I think I remember one day just getting out of bed and going and sitting on the couch and I thought to myself you know I've been doing this now like I'm pretty much healed from my surgery. I've been sitting in this corner, so much so, my, I was FaceTime my daughter because she lives in Arizona, and we were FaceTiming and she said to me, oh, I had, uh, sorry, I'd actually moved. I wasn't sitting in the spot that I'd actually been sitting in all this time. And I was in a different spot in my house. And my daughter said, oh, well, that's different. I haven't talked to you in weeks and you haven't been, had the same background, meaning, that I had been yep. sitting in the same chair doing the same thing for a long time. And that kind of just raised my eyebrows about that. And I thought, you know, you're right. Time to get up and time get going. to get moving. My husband's a walker. He doesn't go to the gym or anything like that. So I started out going on some short little walks with him and getting the blood pumping again. And But even where it's like, you know, like that's kind of the concept of this whole podcast is that you know, people will motivate us in different ways, you know, daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. You know, what motivates me this morning might not motivate me this afternoon. Where walking might not necessarily normally motivate you, but it's exactly what you needed then. It was. It was definitely what I needed. And just getting out, getting fresh air, feeling mm -hmm. your blood moving again. And this is what I enjoy. Do I want to spend the rest of my life sitting in the chair moping? Or do I want to be outside enjoying what I enjoy? And you know, part of it is I, I like watching, I, you know, I, when my kids were young, I enjoyed watching them, you know, do their sports and my grandkids, I, I want to be able to go down and watch them, you know, do what they do. And so, yeah, I, that's when I made the choice was that I, I don't know how long I'm here for, but I want to be here and what I have left, I'm going to enjoy to the fullest. So. Absolutely. Yeah. So, is that the point where you know you got you started walking did you go into the pantry and you're like okay this has got to go that's got to go yes. yes so how did you start how did you start eating like what were some of the things that you ate or what was the decision you you made when it comes to what you were willing to eat i guess when i started chemotherapy was when i really started watching like i had made the decision that you know i wasn't going to sit and open in the house and i was going to get out and do stuff and, but I hadn't focused really on my diet at that time. I just, I just felt good moving. So it was like baby steps. So I started chemotherapy and I went to, a, they call it chemo teach. So I went there and the instructor that was giving us all this was talking about how important nutrition is because most people tend not to eat when they go through chemo because I've actually that because it makes you feel makes so you feel nauseous nauseous and, and you know she was take your medication you'll get anti nausea medication make sure you take it which I found was a big help at first because then I felt like eating if I didn't take it if I forgot to take it if we went out and then I remember one time going to my um, sister's for dinner and I forgot to take it you know beautiful meal and I'm just looking at it I know I can't even think about eating it so and you're not you to the to level that you went through, but like we all know what that feels like just on the minor scale yeah. of what we all can associate to just when yeah, you're, not when you're not feeling, feeling that well. well. Yeah, so, 
and she made it extremely important to, you know, you have to look after yourself and nutrition is a big part of it. I, I've always known exercise has been a huge part of my life and making me feel good, but not so much nutrition. I mean, healthy eating, you know, you try to get your kids, but I was really adamant at that point in my life that I was going to do the best. So that's when the pantry got cleaned out, the fridge got cleaned out, and it's just my husband and I at home, so we don't have yep. junk food like the kid that you have around when you have kids. So it was Absolutely. easier, much easier at that point. What was like the sure. what was the biggest change in your nutrition? I would say getting rid of um, white breads, mm. rice. So all like the refined foods, carbohydrates, refined. processed junk. Yes. I, I don't say I don't eat them now, but I, I know that they're... Mm. Do you feel like that you learned a lot about what, you know, like those refined carbohydrates and processed foods do to your body, you know, a normal body, but then never mind somebody who's also then, you know, going through chemotherapy and, you know, fighting cancer. Yes. Did they educate you? Yes. Was it kind of eye-opening at that point? It that... was. It was because always being a family that was so busy you know you tend to go with what's quick and what mm -hmm. you can put on the table give the kids something to eat before they race out the door and you eat the same yeah so yeah it was it was so we went to eating chicken and vegetables and mm -hmm. you know a whole grain breads which i it's not that i haven't eaten those it's just getting rid yeah. of the other stuff yeah do you did you feel better from that that point on like when you made those dietary changes did you feel better from it or was it something that you had to believe what it was it was beneficial for your body or could you feel that it was I beneficial? felt better almost instantly what were some of the things that you noticed um, more energy mm -hmm. definitely more energy um, do you notice any more like clear in the mind like, like your cognitive function was it I heard more clear, more crisp, anything on those ends, or just I, overall body just energy was better? overall feeling better. Everything mm -hmm. seemed to work better. I slept better. Yeah. That well, was another thing. I remember commenting that, you know, I'm sleeping better. Waking up, of course, if you sleep better, you wake up less tired, you have more energy. So Absolutely. it just kind of steamrolled through. So then, what did it look like from there? So you started walking, started eating better. Like, what did what did it turn into? Like your your health and wellness strategy that you had for yourself. Like, what did it morph into once you started feeling a little bit better and the walks became a little bit more <laughs> tedious when you felt like you should be jogging? Yeah, or... that's exactly what happened. I once I did my little walking thing for a couple of weeks and started eating better. I started feeling better, and then I was like, I got to get back to the gym and start so I had to start slowly and for me that's hard yeah how long did <laughs> I, that take like so you went in all this happened one night was it three months six months a year down the road how long did it take for you to get back to walking through the doors of the gym to start working out again um probably about two months two months that quick two months, three months yeah wow yeah after I healed from my surgery I I was and expecting I to say my... like six months or a year, so like <laughs> yeah. two months, like you got right on it then. Well, I had to take a break between when I had my chemotherapy. You know, I had the four days, sometimes five, where I couldn't do anything, but I, I kind of set a goal in my mind that I would get up and I would go, and it didn't matter what I could do, I would just get up and go. And I knew once I got up and went, I would do what I could. Absolutely. So, and that's, it's just continued from there. Mm -hmm. 
So if you had to compare yourself to where you're at now that you've fully got back into your routine, do you feel like you're in as good a shape as what you were before all of this? Or do you feel that yes. you're in better shape now? Or where? I would say I'm in probably better shape now than I was before all this because I'm much more conscious of being mm-hmm. in good health. So it's almost was like before. this. <laughs> that's a silver lining is, is. you know, that now you're living actually yeah. a healthier life. Yeah. You feel better. Performance has gone up, yeah. doing good. Um, what is it? What have your doctors said? Because obviously you're six months to a year past the point of what they thought they gave you. And, mm-hmm. you know, how many people, and I know you guys don't know, but, you know, Rona's no slouch to two or three day workouts. Like she's not just walking. Like she is full on high intensity interval training classes, spin classes, working out, you know, works out at multiple different places, like not just regular fitness. So I really want to give Rona that credit because that's the astonishing part about it all is it's not just little foofy workouts. Like they're, they're intense. Your workouts are not foofy. I don't know anybody that would call your workouts foofy. Yeah. So, and like, that's the, that's the amazing thing is, you know, you're, you're six months to a year past this point they gave you and you're a powerhouse. Like, how does that feel? Like just that concept alone is them doubting whether or not you'd even be here right now and you're just crushing life. Well, it makes me proud of myself, mm-hmm. you know, that I have been able to maintain this. It makes me happy that I've been able to extend my life just by, mm-hmm. I feel looking after myself and doing you know, healthy things for my body and able to fight this disease as best I can. Um, I, my, my oncologist had, uh, when I signed up to do the triathlon, he was in awe. He says, I've been treating cancer patients for over 20 years and I've never had anybody do a triathlon and, you know, way to go. And then he was telling me a story that in Adelaide in Australia, they have anybody that's diagnosed with cancer is given a personal trainer. Really? So, and they were getting great results. I love progressive, progressive medicine <laughs> like that, where yes. it's not just, you know, here's your, your pill, go sit go on your couch. And, yeah, and your pills. Yeah, yeah, you know, we're like, see, that's great functional medicine and what we all need, and we need a little bit more of that yeah. style of living, and it's, for sure. You know, they, the oncologist takes he goes on research projects and he takes holidays. So I don't always see the same one. And every time I go in there, they point to me and she's, and they say, oh, she's the triathlon. <laughs> it's not yeah. like I've done a bunch of them and it was a small one, but he, you know, they always point me out as the one that did the triathlon. That's my day yeah. when I go But there. still though, like this, in relative comparison, like this would be if somebody, you know, went to Kona and was like, I've now qualified for this yeah. true full Ironman. Like, I'm sure that's the way that they're all looking at it in their mind because, you know, like you said, he's been an oncologist for 20 years and he's never come across somebody who has done that after that yeah. he has started to see them. Yeah. Have you had any doctors along the way, like, discourage you from doing any no. of this kind of stuff? No, no, not at all. No, they're all very encouraging, the ones I have. Do you feel like that within the healthcare system we have, like, there's there's the right resources or the right education, or if there is any any changes to any of that, could, just knowing what you've been through and how you've chose to look at it and the choices that you've made in your life, do you feel like those are naturally being propagated when people are going through this experience, or do you feel like you that was really just of your own design? For me, it's from my own design. 
I see the oncologist once every six weeks mm-hmm. and you know it's go in check your blood pressure mm-hmm. check your lungs you know ask how you're doing with the drugs and the side effects and everything like that so they're busy the nurses when I was having chemo and going to the hospital and having the chemo um, interjected through my veins I was there for uh, four hours at a time so you know I would sit and talk with the nurses and they're extremely extremely encouraging for everything Mm -hmm. because a lot of them are well my age or younger but they're all a lot of them are into health and fitness and everything so you get a lot of encouragement from them but not so much them the doctors themselves they're Mm -hmm. busy and they they're more you know matter of fact in there get your statistics and we have uh, we have some doctors coming on the podcast who are doing an amazing job of trying to bring more functional medicine to mm-hmm. public health care. Yeah. Um, is there anything that that you could see that the system that we have now needs based on your experience that you know I could relate to them? Well, I definitely that Adelaide's um, trial that they're doing with the personal trainers. I think you know that's amazing because I know for me if I had had that early and I would have been encouraged which I have self-determination mm-hmm. that I didn't need it as much but I know from my brother-in-law it would have been a huge difference in his life he spent his life on the couch his mm-hmm. last three two years whatever he you know not doing anything where he could have I felt gotten out and enjoyed the last part of his life you know and that's hard on a healthy body you know even when we don't have any illness in our body like it creates a lot of problems for a body when we just you know especially laying on the couch you know kicking the feet up when I think a lot of your success is something I see in people all the time through any facet of life is you just made that that choice and your mind really just took your body the rest of the way it does it does you know your your body doesn't go um you know, where your mind won't let it go. And I, I, you know, I get up in the morning and I never hit the snooze button. That's mm-hmm. my, that's another rule I have. If I need my alarm to wake me up, I never hit the snooze button because I, Absolutely. that's just doesn't happen. And because I know that that would be the first, first step into not getting up and going. So yep. I just, that's my rule to myself. I don't hit the snooze button. You know, and I think those are, because once we allow those little excuses to start <laughs> oh. creeping in, then everything else is just cascading effect. It's like, what's that piece of chocolate or, you know, that little piece here? Oh, I don't need to have that salad today. You know, like, I feel like all those little excuses just start creeping in. But if you set your day, because I'm very much the same way that, you know, when my alarm goes off, I just get up and I go because it really sets the tone of the discipline for the entire okay. rest of the day. And if you start making excuses, oh, hit the snooze button, you know, then you have an excuse for, oh, well, I've already blown it for the day. I didn't get to the gym, so I'll just eat this chocolate bar, you know. So, yeah. Well, I'm thinking how many people, you know, (laughs) they're going to come, you know, to like an early morning class and it's it's really easy to blindly hit cancel on on an app instead of having to go somewhere and be like, okay, I'm not going to come today. I'm just going to go back home now and crawl back into bed. You know, it's just things like that become easier even with the snooze button. So you hit it once. What's to stop you from hitting it again? And the next thing you know, the class is over. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So what what do you see from here? Like, do you have anything fitness-wise? Do you have any new fitness goals to be able to take advantage of all the rest of this amazing time on this? I actually, um, I was talking to my brother over at the Christmas holidays, and 
he mentioned to me that he would like to go down and do the tour de Tucson. Oh, explain. So it's it's a bike ride around Tucson. That's where mm -hmm. my daughter lives, so it's convenient for that. And there are different uh, distances. The farthest one is 100 miles. Of course, they do oh. everything in miles. So the, the longest is 100 miles. So I think that's 160K, my math's right. So well, I'm not sure way, I would do yeah. the 160K. Well, we'll I, let I everybody know. else <laughs> Google that one to be able yeah. to come up with that math. I'll just but smile and nod as you say 60. Yeah, there's a 100 miles, 75 mile, and 50 mile. What would you so. guys do? Or what would you do? He would probably do the 100. Um, I will have to see. It's in November. So I will have to see how my health is. If I can do 100, I'll do 100. If, if not, I'll do the 50. Yeah. And I'm going to set my mind and do another triathlon. Yeah. Maybe a little longer one this time. If oh. I can get my swimming down. Is that the hardest so, part oh, for you is the swimming? Definitely. Definitely the swimming. Do you just love having like all <laughs> these opportunities to be able to... Because not only do you have this extra time you know, on this planet, but you're you're feeling great every single one of those days yeah, like I it's do. not like these days are those typical days where you just wish it was all over like this is like i am gonna do a longer triathlon i'm gonna go to do this tour to tucson you know i've done this triathlon already um like does it just feel inspiring with inside yourself just knowing that you have all these days to be able to do this amazing stuff it does and you know the only person you can do it for is yourself and that's what mm -hmm. I do it for is, if I have goals, I, I tend to, when I, I, I like to have a little goal. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to be a big goal, it's just, I like to have a goal in the distance that, that's mm -hmm. my, my next little mark to get through and. Do you, do you I do, I, think there's any value in when you look at it and you create a future for yourself in your mind, like where you say, okay, well, the tour to Tucson's in November. You know, I'm, you know, next spring I might do this triathlon. If you create those goals that are in the future, that helps create that future as well. I believe it does. Definitely, I believe that. You know, if I have those goals and I'm feeling good, and you know, so far, I, I'm feeling great. Like I said, somebody mm -hmm. didn't tell me I had this awful disease. I there's no way I'd even know it. So, yeah. and I think that's due to being healthy. So knowing that you went through kind of the two sides, was it your brothers or your brother-in-law that? My brother-in-law. Brother-in-law. Um, knowing that the struggle that he went through and uh, I take, he passed away, you know? So um, knowing the struggle that he went through and that he passed away and where you've gone, is there is there anything that you you could think of just like a, like a broad, message to put out there just to try to help people maybe get off the couch or just like anything that you think would be valuable just knowing because all of us who's never been through that experience if if i say to somebody okay let's get off the couch let's go for a walk and they're like i can't it's really easy for me in my mind to be like i get it let's just why don't we just sit here and we'll talk and maybe we'll try tomorrow like where's that point where it's like, okay, we got to do this. Like, you, I, I need to lift you up off this couch. I need to go. Like, how, is there any advice that you could give or, like, anything to people like me to say, like, this is yeah, what people in that situation need? One of the um, things one of the nurses told me in when I was going through chemotherapy is you're never, when you're having chemotherapy, you're not going to feel like doing anything. Mm -hmm. You are going to feel like 
doing nothing. She says, the best thing you can do is do a little something every day. And that little something will become a bigger something as you progress. And nothing ever becomes easy because, like, you know, you just try harder. You are, you're always trying hard. It doesn't matter what you do. It's you try harder and to keep moving. And like I say, little steps, to take those little steps to start with. You know, and just look outside. It's a beautiful sunny day. Just get out there, take a small walk around the block. Next day, you know, a little bit farther. Even if you need an umbrella and whatever, it's just getting out. And then when you come back, you feel so much better. Mm -hmm. And I know for myself, and I've personally experienced this, is when I, even when I was having my four days of downness with chemo, if I went even to the mall, I felt 100% better than I did sitting on the couch. Absolutely. Everything I did when I got off that couch, and it's hard to do because, you know, even friends would invite us out for dinner and I could easily say, I just have chemo, I don't feel like going. Once I got there, it's out of your mind, your problems, you know, you're engaged with other people and things. So just making yourself do things, they, they, they are hard. Mm -hmm. And I won't deny that, they're hard to do but you feel so much better when you do things. It well, doesn't have to be, the, I'm not talking just exercice, yeah. I'm talking anything. Get out, go to the mall. Well, like, yeah, you know, it's just, like you said, it's just dinner, to the mall. Meet a friend or, for lunch, go have a manicure, whatever. Just get up and move. Because that's the, it's really easy to sit and stew in that, that negativity versus going and try to proactively oh. just change that. Like it's a mountainous task, like, you know, to get up the couch, to get in the car, to drive right. to the mall, you it know, is. it's like, it just seems such like a mountainous task, but you know, the benefit of it, cause like you said, where you might go say, I'm going to go to the mall for 10 minutes and then an hour later, you're still there, you know, like walking around and you know, again, it's like the, the power of our, our mind, if we just allow ourselves to be able to be strong and, you know, keep propagating that same message that my mind needs to be strong so my body follows with me. You see the benefit, and you're walking Visiting proof of that. Visiting friends was huge for me. Getting out and just getting out of the house was, was a huge. You, would you find that not inviting people over, but, you know, going over to people's houses, like that would, that would be a better strategy no, for either just, or. Either or? Yep. Just having people or. come over come in general? Over was fine. Going out just during the day, just getting out, like I say, going to the mall, lunch, yeah. moving around. Well, that's amazing. Well, we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up here, but I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your story. I know there's probably aspects of that that were very tough to to talk about. Uh, well, what I would like to do is, you know, maybe later on next spring, after you've done the Tour de Tucson and your next triathlon, is maybe we could sit down again and you could tell us what both of those uh, events were like and we can we can share another side of the story. Now that we've closed this chapter, we can talk about everything you've yeah. done from this point on. I'd love to. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Rona. Thanks, Blake.